Yo, welcome back to Project Fortify podcast. Today's episode is going to be a little story heavy on one of the craziest real estate transactions that I have ever done. And the reason this is titled to think outside of the damn box is because I hear and I see and I talk to and I consult with so many business owners who are so stuck in the same way of thinking that their entire industry is stuck within that they actually have stopped improving. They have stopped creating best solutions for their business because they look at what the industry has to offer and they think that those are the only opportunities, the only solutions within the entire world of business is inside of their industry. And I cannot tell you how many times I have taken something that I have learned in running a tower business and running a telecommunications commercial construction business, applied it to the world of coaching and consulting and voila, you have magic happens. You have, ma- ma- uh, you have massive and major profitability. Um, but the whole point of it is, is I was able to take something that was not applicable to the online world that was not applicable to an online business, a coaching, consulting, infopreneur, online expert type of business, and I applied the same structure, the same methodology, the same frameworks that I used in running a seven-figure commercial construction company to the world of, of coaching and consulting that it completely radically changed and radically transformed how those industries were, were operating. Now, one of the biggest things is project management. So the way that the world uh, outside of this online world manages projects is so significantly different than this fly by night, throw it in Slack, throw it in a message, text it over to somebody and hope it gets done by Sunday before you follow back up with them. Let's be honest, that's just a terrible business practice. And I took my methodology of project management and brought it into the world of coaching and consulting. And you see, the world, of pro- the world of telecommunications construction is an odd duck. It's a very strange, odd scenario. Sometimes um, these towers that we're working on are on these mountaintops. And to, in order to get to these mountaintops, it's probably two, three, sometimes four hours away, if not longer, uh, to home base. It's far away. And all of the materials that we use are very specialized materials that you can't just go to your local hardware store and pick up. Everything's stainless steel, everything's made out of a particular material for the RF to be able to transmit through, things are particular sizes. You you cannot get anything for a standard cell tower at your Home Depot. And so what this means is that we'd have to order everything in advance. And so we had a logistics issue. We had to order everything in advance before the job was to be done. And then once the job was to be done, we had to go in and specifically and methodically think about every single nut, screw, bolt, washer, connector, cable, everything that you could possibly have on that tower. You had to load it up into your truck, load it up into your trailer. And if you forgot something, it could cost upwards of $80,000 for the day because sometimes we have cranes out there. Sometimes we have, um, you know, large pieces of equipment that we're renting out there that if you go out to the site and it's like, oh, dude, we don't have this right now. And you have a crane on standby and that, that crane's costing you $8,000 an hour and you have them contracted for 10 hours plus mobilization and demobilization for the day. It costs you a lot of money very quickly if you forgot a nut or you forgot a bolt. 
And so I took that same methodology and I applied it to the consulting space. Before we go do this project, what is every nut and bolt that we need on this project? How do we manage it? How do we organize it? How do we add it to a system to be tracked so the remote office can see it without, the, the, without overbearing the people actually doing the work? And so we don't lose the risk. And now most of you in, cons in consulting and, and online businesses, you don't have $8,000 an hour cranes standing by, but what you do have is you do have customers, you do have clients, you do have team. And what happens is you owe it to them to bring in the best solutions that might be from outside of an industry. Now, I wanna get into story time for a second. And um, one of the things that I am very passionate about is investing in real estate. And I actually met my wife at a real estate investment club out in Southern California. And so at the time I was in residential real estate. I was focused on flipping and wholesaling residential real estate. In California at the time, is we had a lot of money from China coming in, a lot of uh, uh, Chinese folks moving into uh, California. And what was happening is they were paying a significant amount more for houses, a significant amount more for the properties that made any logical sense because their goal was to hold on to them for 20, 30, 40 years and it's a lineage, it's a legacy type thing. They're bringing in money that's you know decades old to buy houses that they're gonna hold for decades in the future. And in the short game of real estate, that's a bad deal. <laughs> I cannot pay if, um, if we go to an auction, which was one of the biggest ways we found properties at the time, is if we go to an auction and let's say in the current state that I can see this house in from the outside, I'm, uh, I'm willing to offer, let's say $500,000 for this house. And if I put another $100,000 into the house, I could sell it for 750, make about a 90 to $100,000 spread on this after all the fees and everything. Um, I'd be able to make about $100,000. And what was happening was we started going to these auctions and the Chinese money that came into Southern California, they were willing to pay 750, 850, 950 for the same house that I was willing to pay 500 for. And I had to get creative because clearly auctions weren't the, the way to do this anymore. Um, so I started looking at foreclosures and um, at the time foreclosures was a very hot market. And when anything's a hot market, it quickly becomes a saturated market. And so I'd go door knocking and I had this big giant folder and this is what my day looked like uh, in this real estate investing. And this was, you know, early on in my online career. So all of you listening to this be like, man, there's such a better way to do that. I know, I know. I was young, I was naive, and I was hungry. And so I was willing to do the things that I knew worked. I wasn't trying to test anything out. And so what my day looked like is I had a, a white four-door F250 with like King Ranch red leather interior. And um, I would have this binder full of all of these properties that I got off of this, whole, this, um, this foreclosure website called Property Radar. And what I would do is I would then fill all of these out and, or it would, it would, I'd print all of these out actually and I'd put them in a binder and I would use like MapQuest or something and I would route out the best map with all of these addresses so I wasn't wasting a ton of time, right? You know me, effective and efficient. It's my goal with everything I'm doing. How can I be the most efficient to create most potent effective, effectiveness? And so I'd map everything out, I'd route everything out and I would literally go and I would knock on people's doors and have a conversation with them. And the foreclosure market, um, because I could simply go online and find all of these foreclosures, 
um, it was a very saturated market. And so I had to start niching down even in the foreclosure market of like, okay, we won't work with Bank of America. We won't work with Chase. We won't work with Wells Fargo. We'll only work with these particular banks. But what I was looking for was this little tiny niche of what we call tax defaults. Now, these are people who had not paid taxes on their house for at least five years and their house was now going to be auctioned off from the, the county that they lived in. The county was gonna repossess their house irregardless of the, uh, the loan on the house. If I owed, you know, if I had 100% of my house paid off but I owed property taxes and could not pay them, then I would lose my house, right? And so that's the way it works in California. And so one of the criteria that I was looking for was uh, 100% paid off or high equity, 80, 90, 100% equity in the property, and they were in tax default. And so that was what I was looking for, was I was going out and I found a niche within a niche within a niche, and I was looking for people that had 100%, 80, 90, 100% equity, and they were in tax default. Now, this is a sign of a distressed seller. Now, I want you to totally understand that they're in a situation that for whatever reason, they have been unable to solve. They have been unable to fix. And what I was looking for was to get them in the best situation that they possibly could be in. That was my goal for every single time. And so I remember we were up in, we were up in the high desert in California and um, the high desert in California is not the best place to be. It's not, uh, it is not full of sunshine and rainbows and happy people with a lot of money. It is the exact opposite of that. And so we, we pull up to this gentleman's house, house. His name was Keith. We pull up to the gentleman's house and I knock on the door. Keith answers the door. And I remember having a conversation with him like, hey, man, like, you, you know you're losing your house, right? And he did. And he's, you know, he'd been down on his luck. His house has been paid off for 10 years. He's been out of work. His son had some mental illness that he was dealing with. And he was enabling his son to be in the house and do drugs and all this crazy stuff. And he literally had no option than to leave the property. So his only option at that point was to leave the property because within the next two weeks, he was going to be evicted from the, the county. And so I asked him, I said, Keith, in your perfect world of worlds, what is it you want? You can't stay here. We've established that unless you get a loan from somebody that you've been trying to that miraculously comes through, you cannot stay here. In your perfect world of worlds, what is it you want, Keith? And he thought about it for just a moment and said, I would be in an RV and I would go travel the country. I would get my son the help that he needs and I would get into an RV and I would go travel the United States. I've never seen the United States. I've never seen outside of this little area and I would go travel the US. I said, okay. And so I'm thinking outside of the box, like this guy doesn't necessarily want money he doesn't have a place to live. I can't give him enough money because the house isn't in great shape. I can't give him enough money to go buy a new house, but I want what's best for this guy. And so in his perfect world, it was to get an RV and to go travel the US. And so um, I went back and I tried to figure out, okay, what could I do? So I went back to Keith the next day and I said, Keith, if I pay off your taxes and I give you two weeks in the house, I give you an RV that's up to your standard would you be willing to sign me over the title to your house, the, 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 the title to your house? And without flinching, he said, if you could do that, I would 100% sign the title of my house over to you. So we, we put in a, a letter of intent, said, hey, this is what we're gonna do, this is what's going on. Um, made an agreement with him on what we were doing. I went ahead and paid off the taxes. I think he owed like 15 or $17,000 in taxes. I paid off his taxes. 
and I had two weeks to find an RV. Now, to me, this is not the way you do a normal real estate transaction. I don't know how many real estate transactions you've done, but I've never, in the, to this point in my career, had I traded an RV and $15,000 cash for a house. Never. If you have, I would love to hear it. If you guys are watching on YouTube, drop a comment of your craziest real estate story you've heard. If you guys are in, uh, in listening to this on a podcast, leave a review on this episode and let me know what's your craziest, wildest story that you've had during real estate. And so, it's about 10 days go by, I find him a, um, I don't know, a late 90s, early 2000s Winnebago RV motorhome that had been fully redone. Brand new tires, brand new air conditioning, brand new carpets, brand new everything. This guy, this, uh, this gentleman had redone it for his daughter to go out to Coachella and uh, she wasn't going out to Coachella next year and so he was looking to sell it. And so we buy this Winnebago. This thing's in great shape. Like it is pristine. Like, you know, those older guys who just take care of everything they have very, very well. And it's like meticulously kept up. That was this RV. And so I haven't even told you guys the craziest part yet. So after we paid off this guy's taxes, we needed to see the condition of the property. Okay. We needed to know what's the condition of this property. And uh, it was the most disgusting, the most vile, the most inhumane living situation I have ever, ever, ever witnessed. And I'm going to be a little graphic here for a moment, right? I mentioned his son had some mental issues. He was living in the house. He was on drugs. The son had ripped apart with a knife the center of his bed. And that was still where he slept every night for years. The toilets in the house looks like they haven't worked in years. There is feces everywhere in the bathtub. It's piled up in the toilet. It's caked on the toilet. Uh, this dude is a complete and absolute hoarder. Uh, there is stuff in the garage that you can't even see. You can't even get into the garage. You can open the door, walk three feet in, and that's all you get until you're completely blocked out. Uh, it was a horrible, horrible smell in this house. And it was, ugh, it was, it was one of the worst places I've ever seen in my entire life. And, and I've seen some pretty awful places. It was the most vile, disgusting house I'd ever lived in. And so this RV in comparison was an absolute gem. It was spotless. It was pristine. It was beautiful. It ran great. And so what I did was I went ahead and I took that RV and I got him, um, I don't know, a thousand or $2,000 in fuel cards and a year long membership to Good Sam so he could go live at these campsites without having to worry about the money, without having to worry about what he was gonna do for fuel or for camping. He had an entire year to figure it out, whereas before he had only two weeks. So I pull up to Keith's house with this RV. He's scheduled to move out in the next four days, pull up to his house with an RV. Um, and when I did, his son was actually standing in the like front area, the front yard, the driveway with a freaking machete. Okay. With a freaking machete threatening us, trying to literally swing the machete at us. We had to call the police. He came and he actually got arrested. Now that was honestly the best thing for Keith's son was to get the help that he needed inside of the system at the time. Now, I'm not a big fan of the system. I'm not a big fan of those things. But for his son and the situation that they were in, the best thing for his son was to get the help that he needed. Keith couldn't provide it to him. Keith was up in his older age. He couldn't provide it to him. And he was able to move into this RV, 
over the next four days, this beautiful, clean, brand new, fresh slate RV and signed over the title to his house. And over the next 12 months, he traveled the US, he, he lived in that RV for the next 12 months, we stayed in touch a little bit, and it was the best thing for him. And that house we took and sold, we did a wholesale on that house, 72 hours later, we made $40,000 in profit off of that house. Keith got the RV that he wanted to live in, that he was happy with, that he was excited to do. The son got the help that they need, and it was a win, 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 win for all parties involved. And my point about that long, long story is there are probably things for you that are stuck inside of the box. And if I would have told Keith when he told me, my best case scenario is to get an RV and travel the country. And if I would have told him like, cool, when you get that RV, let me know, we'll come back and we'll, we'll buy the house and yada, yada, yada. But I had to think outside the box and come up with a different solution to get the deal done. And because of that, we were able to get a win-win-win situation across the board. And so my challenge to all of you is when you're approached with a problem or you're approached with a hurdle, I want you to start thinking of like, what other industries have already solved this problem? What other industries have potentially already gone through and actually fixed this problem better than anybody in my industry has? Start looking at other industries. Then I want you to ask yourself, what is the wildest, craziest, most fanatical thing I could do to solve this problem? Maybe it's going and buying a massive motorhome and trading a house for it. <laughs> I don't know what that solution is for you, but I want you to start thinking outside of this proverbial box because if you stay thinking inside of this box, you are gonna stay stuck within this small realm that you know exists and you're not gonna be able to get outside influence. So let's take a step back. What's the craziest thing that I could do to solve this problem? And is there another industry that has already solved this problem for me? Run through that filter and I guarantee you guys, your life is going to be easier and you're gonna be able to get to solutions faster and better than you have before. Think outside of the damn box and I'll see you guys in the next episode.